Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Brooklyn, 1973, when Shoaib Rahim and his friends attempted to steal guns for self-defense. It sparked the longest hostage siege in New York City Police Department history. A psychologist by the name of Harvey Schlossberg fought to avert a bloodbath, reform police methods, and save the lives of the hostages, police, and the four young Muslim men at the heart of this conflict. The film is it's absolutely wonderful. It's called Hold Your Fire. We're joined today by the director as well, producer, cinematographer, and writer of the film, Stefan Forbes. Stefan, welcome back to Film School Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. This is a fascinating incident event in not only in the history of New York City, but just in terms of police action perceptions. There's so many things about the, the the film as it unfolds that are fascinating. Tell me what you got interested in and what turned this into the documentary film, Hold Your Fire. I'm such a lover of French Connection, Dog Day Afternoon, Serpico, those epic 70s New York stories with their grit and realism and the different cultures we see. And to discover a story like this that hadn't really been told before. I just got so excited. I wanted to try to tell the 70s story that felt so relevant in a 2020 style with a multiplicity of voices, you know, hearing from all different sides of the conflict, which I always love to do because I'm fascinated by these areas of cultural conflict, how we lock ourselves into opposing binary black and white situations, right. much as the cops love to call perpetrators the bad guys, like <laughs> evil, yeah. you know, and what I'm trying to do is is break that up a little and question a little deeper, what, well, what really happened? And can we see people more in shades of gray and and really let, get, get some perspectives on this thing from the people who lived through it and who are carrying these stories for 50 years dying to talk to me about it. It was, it was fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. And there is I, the people that you got to speak on camera about this, obviously make the film. It's so important. We're getting the perspective of the people who were there, who, who lived through this. But what makes it so interesting is the frankness with which they speak about what happened, particularly in, in the realm of the police department and their perception of the, of the perpetrators and the hostages. It really, it's pretty amazing, actually, that you got what you got out of them in, in, in a current environment where it's hard to believe that, you, that some of these people would say these things out loud, but they did. Am I overstating yeah, they, that? I mean, yeah, no, there's a lot of really troubling things they say in terms of race, in terms of violence. I learned that a lot of these cops carry a lot of wounds and grief around. They receive, as they say in the film, very little mental help, very little counseling. You know, for decades, the therapist of choice for the NYPD has been a guy named Jack Daniels. So, you know, they speak very 
clearly about yeah. first you grieve, then you want to go f- somebody up over it. It's 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 terrifying to think that people who carry a gun are not getting any kind of support or many of them are getting no training in diffusing conflict and de-escalation of the kind that Harvey was trying to teach them 50 years ago. So yeah, I I always love to really talk to people and get past the the public personas that people adopt. And when, you know, we all want to open up and really reveal ourselves, we could get to a deeper level that we see a lot of these Police officers are are deeply wounded when we might see them as b- bad guys, you know, or hear stories about how, you know, either they're they're demonized in the press or they're lionized as you know, the thin blue line. And I think, you know, in a great film, the truth is a lot more nuanced. Yeah, absolutely. And the training uh, to that point. And by the way, just to kind of reframe the, this story, it takes place in 1973. And the training back then was such that in some ways, well, I guess another way to put it is to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And in, in most of these kinds of situations, the police were the hammer. And they, this is what they did. This has worked for their parents and or the people who came before them. And they were determined to, I think one of them says, you know, it's the old, the bad guys keep the bad guys from doing bad things. But, but I, I agree with what you just said. <laughs> In the sense that people are real in this film and the way they describe the situation. And did it surprise you that they reacted the way that they did in these interviews or that they said some of the things that they did? Or- yeah, it's constantly surprising. There are things throughout the interview process that you hope for. You want to get down you know, past what you've read in the media and find out the real story. It's exciting. Well, you know, another example was Jerry Riccio, the store owner, who I'd always read about. It seemed like he hated these gunmen and he wanted them locked up and the key thrown away. And Jerry expressed so much empathy. And he said, you know, they weren't bad guys, you know, except for the, the one with the shotgun. He, you know, and when Jerry finds out that the quietest, most introverted one of the gunmen has been in jail for almost 50 years, you can see the shock on his face yeah. and the sadness. Yeah. And, you know, so many times our views of criminal justice are just colored in society by this narrative created by the police unions and the loudest voices where you realize our system is a punishment-based system, not a victim-centered system. Victims often want restorative justice. They want to meet with the party that caused them harm. They want to ask them questions. They want to see people get education and job training. They don't want to necessarily see them just locked up and then thrown back in the communities with no help and no ability to to change their life trajectories. Victims are widely in favor of restorative justice because it holds perpetrators of violence more accountable. But you'd never know that. Right. reading the press you think jerry was angry that any of them got out of prison because all his exit interviews were stage managed by the patrolman's ben- beneficial union the pba so again you know another shock to me that wow this guy has empathy there were surprises all along making this film but you know any great screenwriter or filmmaker wants to 
especially about a real life incident, really talk to people. And when you hear things firsthand and you, you let people know you're going to listen, you can uncover the real story of what happened. Absolutely. This comes at a time, this 1973, this incident, this event, uh, the taking of the sporting goods store happened around the time of Attica. It happened around the time of a lot of unrest, uh, socially, politically, and also what's brought out in the film, which I found fascinating, was the tension within the Nation of Islam and people of faith, Islamic faith. That comes out in the story, an important part of the kind of the milieu, the background, kind of the ether of the world that these people were living in, which gives all of it this kind of resonance. The film just resonates throughout with this authenticity and and empathy as well. Yeah, thank you so much. We, they talk about the man code that we're brought up with, you know, where you can never admit vulnerability. You have to dominate every interaction. It's all about winning. You hear a cop say in the film, you became a police officer for victory. Yeah. You know, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> is, is this like a war where we, we want to, have victory over the other side. So, you know, we as American men have inherited all these unexamined precepts about violence. We talk about a football player is, yeah, he can really take a lot of punishment. Yeah. You know, your ability to engage in this manly act of violence and harm is what we should judge people on. And, you know, the film is already being used by a lot of nonprofit foundations put out there to create new kinds of conversations around masculinity and raising sons, how we handle conflict in our schools and in our society. And Jack Cambria, for one, uh, who you, you hear in the film, who carries on Harvey's legacy, he's out there using Hold Your Fire in trainings with police officers around the country. So it's exciting to see the conversation changing and a film can have that power. If you listen deeply to people, there's a kind of humanism and a respect. Yeah. And, a, and a, we're taking down those boxes that were put into more and more in society between left and right and black and white and these opposing camps on Twitter, which is run by an artificial intelligence bot that profits off conflict yeah. and, and really emotionally charged speech that... You know, this film can be a countervailing force in our society to slow down, do the things Dr. Schlossberg tried to teach, show some empathy, show some deep listening, and let people know that you hear them and you're curious about them as, as people and their voice. Now, that's what's lacking in our society to the point that we're invading our own Congress and we could be about to lose our democracy. We're excited for this film to be out there as a resource for people to spread and send the trailer to friends. And, and hopefully get a whole different approach out there in the world. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that answer. And thank you for Hold Your Fire. Uh, the film is out on in theaters as well as on demand beginning on May 20th. It's being released through IFC Films, a wonderful distribution outfit and doing a great, great work. And uh, Stefan Forbes, thank you so very much for your time. And thank you for Hold Your Fire. Thank you, Mike. It's always a pleasure coming on and chatting with you. And uh, you. if I ever make another film, I hope to be invited back on again.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.